Do you know that in the kingdom of God, there has, there has never been intended as such a thing as passive, and that everything you have in your hand right now is meant as a seed that as you steward it correctly, it was meant for increase. For me, I have trouble understanding believers who, they might not actually say it, but they're kind of happy with the way things are. They, they like maybe coming into a community or being part of a community. They like maybe being part of a, a ministry or two. They like maybe that their kids get born again. Their kids have a nice program they can go to. And relatively speaking, they like the things the way they are. And maybe once in a while, they'll go on a mission trip. And that has never been the intent of God for the universal church and also for every person in this room. There is an aggressive taking grace that is given to every believer and every universal church whom God has called to build the church. There is this prophetic edge to it that it's not that you're unthankful and it's not, and, and when you really know God, you really know you need him. And it's not in your own strength, but there's this, and your, your, listen, your faith inside of you demands that you see mountains fall. As I constantly read Mark 11, and I think to myself, I cannot have mountain-moving faith on the inside of me and not see it work. And so I believe that as, and in fact, uh, Jesus teaches in uh, Matthew, the 25th chapter, he talks about the talents. He goes, the kingdom of heaven's like this. You, you, this guy gets five talents and he increases. The other guy gets three talents and he increases it. And he talks about the increase that he, it, it, we, we have to understand when we read about how God wants to relate to us, as Americans, sometimes it's a little challenging because we think it's a suggestion. We think sometimes that, well, you know, I like this, I don't really like this about God. Listen, I like all the parts of God that I don't even understand. And when he makes a statement, especially in the epistles, like when Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, he's not making a suggestion. When Jesus says, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the leopard, raise the dead. He's not making a suggestion. When he stands in Matthew 28 and he says, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. He's not making a suggestion. And if we choose not to believe for and not to contend for the experience of what he says is a mandate to us, then we live as a people in deficit. The enemy loves people to live in ignorance. Like, he just loves it. Like, I said the other day, there's no blessing in being ignorant. And Paul prays to the church at Ephesus, he prays this. He's, this is a church that we know experienced an amazing city-shaking move of God, but he prays this. I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God would come to you. The very prayer, the context of that prayer lets us know there are things that we will constantly need to know. And then Peter would say in his epistle, he said, grow in the knowledge of God. So 
there is this advancing thing, whether sometimes it comes in seed form, sometimes it manifests itself, but there, there should be an attribute about the people of God that goes, it's not that I'm unsatisfied. I'm thankful that, yes, that I'm just saved, I'm thankful that I'm healed, whatever it is, I'm thankful that I'm delivered of this, but there is more that I need to experience, there is more that I need to add, and there is a dimension that needs, that, that, that a corporate manifestation of the glory and the presence of God must come to the earth that we're not seeing. And I always try and keep this as a forefront to me because I'm involved in a lot of meetings, a lot of teaching, and a lot of stuff. And I always, I always, I, I live with a number of principles. One is I never assume I know what God is doing. I have certain gifts that can just things happen because you have a gift. And you know the truth is when you're gifted and you can and you've seen certain fruit only you and you and God really know if you're doing what he told you to do. Years ago the Lord told me he said you can have money, you can have books, you can have open doors, you can have this, you can have favor with people, but only you and I will ever know if you're doing what I told you to do. I know why I said that. But I believe that there is a seed being released to this New Day church even tonight. It's a seed of apostolic grace. It's a seed of taking ground as never before. And the Lord says, I am raising up a people in this room to be warriors as never before, to have a warrior taking grace come upon them to have the eyes of their understanding enlightened, to see reality from my perspective, to move and to function from a different place. And there is a sound in the spirit. There's a sound in the spirit for the people of God. The Lord says you've experienced certain good things, you've experienced certain breakthrough, and you have seen the grace of God. But the Lord says by my grace I say to you, come up higher. Come up higher, come up higher and even see the plans, even see the secret mysteries that I have that would unlock this city, says the Lord. And even understanding that would bring racial reconciliation to this region as never before. For the Lord says there is a healing in the land that I desire to do, a strong healing of the land. And as the land gets healed, says the Lord, I want to bring the body of Christ together even in this house as never before. You are, says the Lord, supposed to be a house of nations, a house of blacks and whites, Asians and Hispanics. You are supposed to be a house that sends to the nations, but also a house of the gathering of nations. And there is a dimension of the grace of God. I see these big boots the way I see them, because I like professional wrestling, they're like these big reps give you. Authority in your worship, authority in your declarations. And I, I, I see like a foot on a gas, and it goes all the way down, and the Lord says, it's time to increase the intercession and the declaration as never before, to contend, to release, and to break through into realities that you have not known. 
For there is an unknown world that the body of Christ has not stepped into in this region. But the Lord says, I want to give you even the grace of people who came to this region, people who tried to establish, people who tried to forerunner, people who tried to plant, but they couldn't break through because the season wasn't right. But the Lord says, it is a season of an open heaven. It is a season of breakthrough. It is a season of fire. The Lord says, do not look to the media. Do not look to the world around you to understand the dictates of God in this season, but hear the voice of the Lord. Hear the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Feel the compassion of the love of God for the people of God in this region. For I want to open the gate, says the Lord, on the eastern part of South Carolina so that the glory of the Lord will make rivers in places that have become deserts. I see the state of South Carolina. I see it with lighthouses and houses of prayer and apostolic centers being raised up and being connected all over the region for the purpose of God, for the advancement of God, for the joining together of the five-fold ministry so that the people of God could advance the ways of God in a way you have not known. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's like a release of the fire of God in, whoa, in this room. I see it moving from my right, whoa, my right side, just moving across this auditorium. There's a fiery thing here being released on my right side. Thank you, Lord. Someone's um, neck, you have a pain in your neck. The Lord is healing your neck tonight on my right side. It's, I believe, years of pain. The Lord is just delivering you of that. Be healed in Jesus' name. Someone also here on my right side, I believe you have difficulty sleeping and the Lord is just lifting off the burden and the weight and the oppression of that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know if it's hot in this room, but I'm really hot right now, and that usually means something really good. Hot is good unless you're dead. And you got issues. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just feel that, Scott, it's time to start contending for your own land. There's something that the Lord wants to do, and I, I don't know what the season, but when you get a piece of land in this region, it'll staple you in this city like never before. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
So there's this aggressive taking thing that is supposed to be upon every believer, upon every church. As part of what an apostolic spirit does, it contends for realities that do not exist. And it's good to have people that are not always apostolic but called to full-time ministry because this is how the apostolic thinks. The apostolic thinks is like, what has God said? And let's go there. And then the other five-fold ministry gifts help to, like, to me, like, I remember when I was on staff at a church, I'd go, hey, this is what God's saying. And they'd go, well, I don't know if the people are ready for that. And I would think, who cares what the people are ready for? This is what God has said. But it's within the dialogue of that mind of Christ that you can develop a wisdom to take people in at the right time in the right season. But every local assembly, God has intended to take territory and Part of it's even in just the way you, the posture of worship. We're not supposed to, I don't know why I'm saying all this. We, you're, we're not supposed to come in here and, and just sing songs. It's like our worship is the baseline of warfare in the region. Most of my warfare has little to do with, very rarely do I directly address the enemy. It's just, I just come in and just go forward because as I put my eyes upon him, I can see above everything else. I want to look a little bit tonight of some characteristics of a warrior. And you find it a little bit in the life of David. I don't know how much we'll get through, but if you want to follow along, let's turn to uh, 1 Samuel 16. Now, David to me is, my water's over here, excuse me. David is an exceedingly fascinating character in scripture. He is mentioned 58 times in the New Testament, and Jesus himself is known as the son of David. I don't fully understand all the implications from that one, but here's what I'm convinced is, God is okay identifying with weak humanity. That the son of God himself actually puts himself in the lineage of the son of David. Fascinating things. And I believe There's some characteristics from his life that really help us. If you want to read about David's life, now he's in other parts of scripture, but he's one of the few uh, uh, characters, if if we can call it that, in scripture that you can actually read most of their life from one end to another, first and second Samuel, long plane flights are really good to read about it. But you begin to read uh, about, excuse me, begin to find out about David and it comes through this man called Samuel. And Samuel is, it's an important thing to point out about the life of David from Samuel because Samuel is not just a, a prophet. He is probably, to me, even as an Old Testament prophet, one of the greatest prophets that ever walked the earth. First Samuel 3, verse 1 says, God let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. That's an Old Testament prophet. Then, he, then Paul, said, uh, uh, Paul would write that, that the glory of the old won't even touch the glory of what God wants to do in the new. So think about what kind of prophetic anointing God wants to bring to the body of Christ. I'm telling you, it's going to go way beyond just dates, phone numbers. It's actually words that will change climate, cities, regions, and nations. 
Samuel's not an ordinary guy, though. So God speaks to Samuel, and he says, uh, I'm kind of done with Saul. I want you to go to uh, Dave, uh, Jesse's house from the Dukes of Hazard, and I want you to anoint the next king. Some of you got that. Others of you didn't. <laughs> the younger people are like, who's... <laughs> And we pick up the story if you want to read it along. 1 Samuel uh, 16, verse 5. And he said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come to me to sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to sacrifice. The reason I read verse 5 because it emphasizes that part of how powerful um, Samuel's prophetic ministry was. The elders of the town come to him. Okay, he's come, he's come for something important. We better make sure that the state farm insurance is in line because if he's got a word of judgment, it's not a good day. Verse six. So it was when they came, he looked at, uh, okay, verse six. So it was when he came, he looked at Eliab and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, This is fascinating to me because God's voice in the earth, the man who actually knew what the will of God was and spoke for God looks at Eliab and I believe everyone in that room is thinking Eliab is the chosen one. And he looks at him and he goes, this has got to be the one. This is the one who went to Harvard. He's pretty smart. He's got it all together. And that famous line in scripture, which is part of the prophetic nature of every believer is this. You can't look just but while you can see, feel, or think. I just tell people, I don't care how many people told you this is a great idea. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how much money they offered you. You always consult headquarters. I always tell people, I just work here. What's God going to do in the meeting? I don't know. I've got to consult headquarters. What are we going to do about it? I just punched the clock, baby. Whatever he says, we do. You see it operating in the life of Jesus. Isaiah 11 talks about the sevenfold spirit of God. And at the end of that phrase, when it talks about Jesus, which is obviously applicable to every person in this room, it says this beautiful statement, and he will not judge by the sight of his eyes. When you walk with God, though, he gives you the eyes of faith. You can see things from God's perspective every time you need to. Verse eight, so Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel and, and said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made the seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here that he said, there remains yet the youngest and there he is keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, thank God for somebody in the room who is hearing God. In a Western American mind, this is like the government of the United States coming to your house and you know they're going to pick one of your kids for a very particular and special task. And if you notice, verse 8 through 11, Jesse is going, hey, pass before the prophet. You pass before the prophet. You pass before the prophet. Now, how many people in this room have children? 
Excellent. I don't have any children. Now, it's possible at some point when I have children, I might like forget that my kid's in the car. I could see myself doing something like, like if I go inside, because I'm always thinking. But I don't think I would forget I had a kid. Why am I emphasizing that point? Because Jesse does not volunteer David to show up to this very special ceremony where the prophet is going to anoint one of his sons for a very particular task. I don't think any of you parents would go, yeah, I just forgot I had John. And I believe this too. Most people believe that David is an illegitimate son of Jesse. And because he's an illegitimate son, he has no part in his father's inheritance. And the other thing is, he can't live in his father's house. Other part about it is really fascinating. If you look down the line, David, David says in the Psalms, in sin I was conceived. And as, fast, as awesome as David is, I don't think he ever broke the generational curse of immorality because he does the same thing his father did. Never, ever believe your choices don't matter. You get to deal with stuff so your kids don't have to deal with stuff. But here's the point, because it's a picture David's place here is that his own father doesn't believe in him, doesn't bring him to the anointing ceremony, but God found him. God finds you no matter what the trauma, no matter the dysfunction, no matter the difficulty, no matter anything you've walked through, he finds you, he knows you by name, and he anoints you to be a warrior in the earth. This whole part is really important to the concept of a warrior. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him here, for we will not sit down till he comes here. I don't, I feel this. There is a prophetic spirit on every person in this room to find the Davids who are being overlooked. Ask the Lord for the people you're supposed to find to call out God's best for them. For he will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him. Now he is ruddy with bright eyes, good looking. In parentheses in my Bible, it says like Abner. I don't know if it says that in your Bible, but it's not a joke, but I mean, if you want to laugh, that's fine. I'm secure. And the Lord says, arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. The background to every warrior, whether you grew up, good background, came into the kingdom in a good place, bad place, God finds you and anoints you, and the moment you come into the kingdom, 
you have the ability to do everything he has called you to do. So what's the foundation of a warrior? The foundation of the warriors, you know that you are a sent one. I was, one of the thousand greatest words in scripture uh, that Jesus ever said was this to his disciples after he ascended. He goes, as my father has sent me, as my father has sent me, so I am sending you. And let me tell you something about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They don't send anyone to earth unequipped for the purpose ahead. We got, we got young boys fighting all over the world tonight. They're in different lands. More are gonna go to Afghanistan now from what I understand. None of those young boys are wondering how they're gonna pay for the missiles, for the planes, for the aircraft carriers. Why? Because the US government makes sure because they're sending them there, they are well, they have everything that they need, and they have all the tools available to fulfill the mission that, that the government has sent them to do. Everything that God has called you to do he has fully equipped you from the day you got born again. Now, you may not know how it functions, you may not know how it arrives, but this, and this is also why it's really good news, because no one is a victim of their circumstances from the moment they come into the kingdom. So the next story in the Bible, we know it's probably not the next day, is the story of David and Goliath. I used to not really like challenges or problems because who wants those? But then I discovered that every challenge is an opportunity to discover what's in my tool belt from heaven. And it's not that God is not, is not mean or cruel, but he wants to teach you to be exactly like Jesus upon the earth and Jesus overcame every obstacle in front of him. You wanna talk about someone who had dominion? He comes to earth and he's not defined by anything except the voice of God. And I love the line in John because if you read the gospel of John, he emphasized, like people think the devil, the devil took his life. The devil did not take Jesus' life. He fully gave it up himself. He says to him, he goes, he goes, you can't take my life unless I allow it to happen. 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together in battle at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah, and they encamped between Sukkot and Azel and Ephraim and Demon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they were camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on one mountainside, and the Israelites stood on the other side with a valley between them. Verse four, and the champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. Notice it says he was a champion. That's an important part of the story because the writer tells us he's, this is not his first UFC fight. This is not his first go round. He calls him a champion. That means he has a history of defeating people. He has a history of victory. I have news for you though. The things that have, had, that have had victories over the people of God, the things that the body of Christ has not been able to overcome, there's a whole generation of people in the earth called to see some Goliaths 
fall and bow down to the name of Jesus. You are actually called to do stuff, stuff in the earth that's never before been done. What a privilege. That's why this is not, this is like, this is not like, hey, we're coming to a meeting, so this is gonna help our life. This is eternal stuff we get together to do. This is really serious stuff. God is really, like, he's really serious about the church. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a, a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin between his soldiers, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the iron spear had weighted 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. And he stood out and cried out to the armies and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Um, now I'm really anointed because I'm spitting on my iPad. If he is able to fight with me and kills me, then we will be his servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be your servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Then Saul and all Israel heard all these words of the Philistine, and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So verses four through about nine there, you'll see that it describes how big or, or how this giant is dressed. Some people think he's maybe 12 feet tall. Uh, he's a big dude, and it describes exactly how he's dressed. Because uh, if you look at whatever era, Goliath may mean a, a bunch of different things for you personally and for this corporate assembly. And if you just look with just natural eyes, that's, that's part of the beauty of living in the kingdom. The beauty of living in the kingdom is this, that you are no longer governed by your five senses. But if you just look at this Goliath in just the natural form, you're going, there's no way I can defeat him. If you just look at the challenge that you have and you, and you meditate over that challenge and you think about that challenge, unless you view it through the lens of God, you'll get discouraged. And here's what Goliath does. He does what the, uh, 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 he, he uses a tool that the enemy's been using since the garden. He starts talking. Because we are spiritual people and we are, God created us to be defined by the word of God. But the enemy knows, you know, he knows some things. And one thing he knows is, he knows he's defeated. That's part of his torture. But he knows that if he can get you to agree with a lie, he, he is actually empowered in the place that you believe him. So what, what he does is Goliath talks. And when they hear, they hear and they look with their eyes and they go, no way. Verse 12. Now David was a son of Ephraim and of Bethlehemite, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man was old and advanced in the, year, in the years and the days of Saul. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of the three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. Notice all those guys were overlooked to being the next king. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. 
this is, this is really good because the next king of Israel, the one who's gonna be remembered forever is actually taking care of sheep. What's another characteristic of a warrior? They serve. You never advance beyond serving. Now there may be some things that you may be doing one season that aren't as fruitful in the next season for you to do, but you never advance beyond serving. The next king of Israel is not, though, wasting his time. You'll find here in a minute that even as he's taking care of sheep, he is actually in training to overcome. Everything in your hand right now is a training tools for you to overcome. Verse 16, and the Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening. See, he's just gonna keep intimidating you until you actually confront it. Like, some believers think that if they, like, if they just don't like, talk about it, recognize that it's there, it'll just go away. It's not how this thing works. You have to actually confront it, take authority over it, and begin to get the wisdom of God to defeat it. Verse 17, and Jesse said to his sons, take now, uh, t- to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah and then this dried grain, these 10 loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fail and bring back news of them. Now Saul, they, and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elip fighting the Philistines. Verse 20, well, let's stop there for a minute. Really interesting here. David's own father doesn't, bring them to the party. And what's fascinating here is the posture of David. David honors a father by obeying him quickly. He's honoring a father who dishonored him. David understands this concept like very few people in scripture. He recognizes that God has sovereignly called him to be king, and he trusts God to put him in that position. He so honors that, that even though Saul becomes a lunatic, he still recognizes him as one whom God has called. This is a key part of being a warrior, because if you don't have this concept of honoring people, and even honoring people who act evil, you will try, usually try, you'll, your tendency will be to try and advance things, advance the kingdom of God through soulish and, and, and wrong eyes. So it's a key to life, the ability to honor when you've been dishonored. And the ability to obey authority even when they're out of alignment with God. Saul, does, excuse me, David does not defeat Goliath without Saul's consent. Try that one on for size. I'm telling you, God takes really, really serious this authority thing. I know it's been misabused, but he takes it really, really seriously. If you've been in a place where you know a leader did something wrong and moral, you don't have to stay, but you've gotta be really, really careful what you say because God rarely appoints anyone to be the Holy Spirit. When God wants to deal with a ministry person, man or woman, he's really good at doing it. And he usually doesn't need your help. I'm just, I'm just, 
I'm telling you because I want to save you some heartache. Anyone I've seen who's even come against bad leaders, who's tried to come against them, try to expose things, it doesn't turn out well for them. Gets quiet when you say that. And Saul and David left the supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army, came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine. See, he hasn't left because nobody's confronting him. (laughs) And he talked with them, the uh, Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistine. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills the king will, will, the king will enrich with great taxes and will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Excuse me, in verse 26. Then David spoke to the man who stood by saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine, who takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And all the people answered and said to him in this manner, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Oh, it's up there. I, didn't, I was wondering why everyone's looking up there. I thought maybe my picture was up there and you're just really appreciating it or something. I don't know. I do this when I read scripture because this is really, really fascinating stuff. I don't know if you caught what's happening here, but here's what's happening is all these men who are part of the army of God, all these men who are trained for battle, they're watching Goliath and they're going, they're watching Goliath and they know though what can happen to the man who steps into faith and defeats Goliath. They actually know something that David does not know. See, revelation, knowledge, is not enough unless your faith wraps around what you've just heard. How you honor the word of God, whether it comes in scripture form, whether it comes in prophetic form, how you honor that, wrap your faith around it and choose to act will determine your fruitfulness here in the earth. Because, remember, all these guys are trained for battle. Let me give you a Western translation for this. All these guys had been in the Wellspring School. All of them went to the school in Toronto. All of them got hands laid on them. John and Carol laid on them. They had oil laid on them. They were prepared for the moment ahead of them. And they actually knew something that David, you mind if I do that? No. You, you, you look like you're, you're doing good. You, yeah, it's kind of pleasurable. Yeah, it's nice. You're a nice boy. <laughs> All these guys, and beyond that, they knew something that David did not know. But what they heard didn't profit them. I haven't arrived in this area, but I have learned when I know something is the word of the Lord, sometimes I have to stand. 
Sometimes if I'm driving in my car, if I'm listening to a teaching, I'll pause it and I say, thank you, Lord. I receive this as your word. I cannot let a moment go by where I have heard something from heaven that can be added to my life that I, that I, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna let a moment go by where I don't consciously receive what God just said. And when you're in a prophetic, cool environment like this, the tendency is like, oh, we've heard that. Uh, Scott says the same thing every Sunday. Can't they get another message, God loves you? And this cynical thing tries to rise up inside of us to steal the seed of the word of God. Jesus talks extensively in Matthew 13 of what happens when the seed of the word goes forth. And every time the word goes forth, there's always a challenge, even if it produces what God said it was gonna produce, 30, 60, 100 full return. But there's a place in there where he says, uh, I think it's Matthew 13, 39. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, what does faith cause you to do? Faith causes you to understand. So I don't think it's a violation of that scripture to say this. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't wrap their faith around it, it's lost. So all these guys had the ability to do what David could have done. He sees the giant and he begins to use that revelation as a, as a prophecy of what it's gonna look like to see Goliath defeated. I always encourage people to do this. Look at the areas where it's not measuring up to what God has told you, what God has said in your word. And I always say, write the problem here and write what God has said over here. Even in your own personal characters, I know none of you have any character flaws like me, but sometimes I can be impatient. So I go, impatience. Here's what the fruits of the spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience. And I look at it every day and I say, thank you Lord for patience. Thank you because this is my default pattern. I do it forever. I talked about it last night at school. My unsaved brother. Thank you, Lord, because as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. We have a righteous seed in our family, and I have a promise. Yeah, that's good. Somebody has a problem. You work with a lot of I don't know why people tell me problems. Maybe I just look like I'm interested in hearing. I don't know, but... Maybe God just, I don't know. But the first thing I have, any problem, you come to me, you want, what scripture are you standing on? Why, well, I got to find it. What, what scripture are you standing on? That already tells me you're, you're, you're not in, you haven't started this thing correctly. What are you standing on? Well, I want God to help. I know, what are you standing on? How do you want him to help you? And from the moment that David hears Goliath, everything that comes out of his mouth is the defeat of that foe. And he's a little teenage boy looking at a giant. I'm really serious about what the Lord's called me to do. And I would not have come here and I would not say to you things that I didn't think was the Lord. 
And I'm telling you that this room has the ability to bring transformation to this region. This is serious. You could think, oh, well, only like 100, no, it doesn't matter. God just, Jesus just needed 12 to change the world. Here's another part that I've learned. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Now, I have learned this. When you position yourself often in a place of faith and a place to go where you've never, we're all supposed to be like Star Trek. I'm not a Trekkie. I've never found that fun. But it's a biblical statement. The goal is to go where no man has gone before. No, you think I'm joking. You're supposed to go where no man or woman has gone before. And no one has ever existed like you, so you are unique, you are God's unique gift to the world. No one can ever do anything like you in the earth because you're so unique that God gave you as a gift to the earth. And when you position yourself in that way, I wish it wasn't like this, but often there will come an attack. Sometimes it's not, they don't even mean it. They, they have good intentions. But you, you, here's what I've come to discover. Just because you have good intentions doesn't mean you can change the world. Good intentions, wrong thinking, demonic. It's called the Pharisees. David is positioning himself to advance a nation, but also advance his own personal destiny and his own brother who should be celebrating him should go, man, go for it. You got it. We saw what the prophet said. God is with you. What does he do? He attacks him in the place of his identity. That's why that thing has to constantly, anytime anything comes to the surface, you got to kind of go, okay, readjust, dig that foundation, uh, think correctly, forgive me, Lord, whatever, get, get delivered, whatever, and then boom. Because what's he saying to him? He goes, and he tries to, the enemy loves this. He tried to define David by where he was, not where he was going. He go, basically, what he's saying, he goes, you're just the guy who takes care of sheep. What are you doing here? You're prideful. You're not trained for battle. You haven't been to the schools we've been to. Who ordained you? All the stuff that sometimes sounds right. And sometimes it can be right, but the enemy will use it against you to stop you in the moment of breaking through. And here's a key part, what you find and what I've learned when you're breaking through in certain areas. In the kingdom, when you're gonna break through into something and manifest something that doesn't exist in your life, you have to start in faith. What's start in faith? Father, I receive, that's what you said. And then, even if not anything is changing in your circumstances, you have to stand in faith. And then when you have to stand in faith, you, you, uh, often you'll go, okay, God, now it's, uh, th- th- I was believing God for something for like uh, probably four or five years, and it just manifested this year. And I go, okay, God, I, I, I'm sensing this is the right time. He goes, okay, this is how you're going to do it. You got to start in faith, stand in faith when, when things go contrary, and then often th- you have to finish in faith, but often to finish in faith, God will give you an insight that seems weird, that seems strange, but it brings manifestation of what you've been believing him sometimes for many years. 
And a lot of people start in faith and then things don't, things don't move exactly like they, they want them to move or they're not changing quickly enough for them. And so they move out of that place and God just wants them to stand in that place because he wants to bring completion to what he's told them. And usually the completion of that thing is not gonna happen like you think it's gonna happen. Why? Because he delights in showing you, I'm your source and I'll do it the way I wanna do it. Now, when the words of David were, were heard, they reported him to Saul, and he sent them. And David said to Saul, let no, let no man's heart fail because of him, your servant. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistines. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep when a lion and a bear came out of the flock. What is he doing? He's training the next king as a shepherd boy. And he's using even the things that come against him, he's using them as training grounds to defeat a, 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 a giant that is taunting a nation. And I went out after it, and I, I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of these, seeing as he, he's defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. What's he doing here? Notice two. When you, I encourage you to reread the story, but he constantly is referring to Goliath as an uncircumcised Philistine. Why is it an important part of the story? It's important because you, you, it's apparent, it's very, very clear that David is a man who knows scripture. Why? Because in Deuteronomy, when God gives the law to the nation of Israel, he tells them, no uncircumcised foe will stand in front of you. So what is he? He's a man, he, 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 he's a man of a testimony. He's a man who knows God. This is one of the things I use. I use my testimonies. I go, well, it's not exactly like this, but this is what God did. And that's why I always will look back at my journals. This is what God did in 2011. This is what God did in 2012. This is what God did in 2013. And the God that I know always answers and always breaks through. He may not do it in the way I want it. I'm always surprised at how he's doing it, but this is the God who I serve. And this is what the word of God has said. And this is what the prophetic word has said. And, and this mountain too will also fall. So what are your tools when you are seeing Goliath? Your tools are, number one, the word of God. You don't even need prophecy. It's a sure word of prophecy right there. What has God said? That's why I say, what scripture are you standing on? What has God said? Second thing that's quite obvious, the reason he has a testimony is he knows who God is. He's a man with a history in God. You won't trust a God you don't know. He knows who God is. God is not an idea to him. God is not a concept to him. God is this personal being who's his friend, who is active in every situation. The other thing you notice is he is not passive and he is speaking. He's also not going, yeah, I know what God said, but you know, he's getting really bad. You know, he's, he's, he's kind of foaming at the mouth and Goliath's been working out. 
He's had 40 days and he's had some rest. He hasn't fought in 40 days and none of that stuff. It's not that I deny reality, but I choose not to elevate words that are above what God has said. And anytime a thought comes to me, I go, no, that's not what God said. It's not what God has said. For sake of time, we'll land the plane because I want to talk about one other concept. Have you got something out of this tonight? This has been fun. It's going to get better tomorrow. But David leaves the presence of Saul and as you read the story, you see the whole time he is just going, I'm going to defeat the Goliath, I'm going to defeat, I'm going to defeat you, I'm going to defeat you. And he shows up. This is, this is what I love about scripture. This is what I love about stories like this. Because it makes no sense how he shows up for this battle. He shows up for the battle with five stones. No armor against a man who is a champion warrior who has defeated everyone who's come in front of him. That's what I mean. Start in faith, stand in faith, and finish in faith. How's he gonna finish in faith? I mean, I could just see how that one went. So God, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna defeat Goliath? Go ahead and get five stones. Makes no sense. It only makes sense if you know the voice of God. Think about, I'm telling you, I've, I've, I've experienced this many times in my life. I'm going, what? No, 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 this is how other minute, no, no, this is how I want you to do it. <laughs> one time I told my assistant something, she just looked at me. Are you sure? It's a great question though. I'm okay with that. You know why? Because I'm, if I'm gonna do something that's unusual, I better know I heard from the Lord. It's a great question. I said, yeah, God's got her back. shows up for a battle with five stones. And I think the whole time God is like, <laughs> watch this. <laughs> Joshua, promised land. You imagine that, that board meeting? So Joshua, how are we going to do it? We're, well, do whatever you say, Joshua. Okay, here it is, guys. It's going to be awesome. The walls of the city are completely closed. The first six days, we're going to march around once. On the seventh day, we're going to march around seven times and shout like Pentecostals, and we're in. <laughs> no battle, no armor. No, 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 no. It's just a shout. The only way you do that is if you know who God is. So this is how I picture it. I, th- I, I. I'm believing there's like Holy Spirit Netflix when you get to heaven. I'm gonna go see this story and I'm also gonna go see the lost years of Jesus. Like seriously, like his brothers and sisters, like I think there's still an inner healing. Can you imagine that? Like Mary just looks at one of his brothers, why can't you be more like Jesus? You're perfect. Yes, I am. Can you be like your brother? 
I mean, that'll send you to Dr. Phil's couch for a long time. You have a perfect brother. Like, I was in a good place. My sister went before me. She took the brunt of the sword of that. You got this young, this is how I view it. Young teenage boy. Now, maybe 15 at the most, they think. And I, I just picture it this way, that his voice is changing. I'm gonna kill you. You can't die, give it the name of the Lord. And this big giant on the other end. I'm gonna destroy you. He throws one stone. Down goes Goliath. We know that the sword Goliath wanted to kill him with is the very sword that David takes out and cuts his head off. That's a key part of the story. Because a key part of the story is this, is we cannot overcome Goliaths if we still like Goliath or if Goliath is in any part of us. Wow, that's really good. Like he didn't, he didn't, listen, there's nothing in hell that you want. Nothing. Like sometimes people think, well, you know, God just wants me to take, take me out of a few meetings. No, the devil wants to destroy you. You don't want to give him any place in your life. He didn't go to Goliath. Oh, Goliath, I know you've had some family problems and you were a little traumatized as a kid. Like he, he doesn't like pet him. He cuts his head off. You want to cut off anything in your life that is not birthed from the life of the kingdom of God. Be vigilant on keeping things out of your life that are not from heaven. And the best part of this story is David defeats Goliath And when he defeats Goliath, all the warriors who are afraid, David wins a victory, a nation wins a victory, but all these guys partake of the victory because they plunder the Philistines. One of the things that really helps me walk out certain things in my life is this is that I have to break through because my breakthrough is connected to bringing other people into their freedom. Why do I believe God for more money? I believe God for more money because more money means more of the ability to do what God's called us to do. Not interested in stuff for myself, not this is like whatever, not into that stuff. God takes care of me, I'm his boy. Whether you give another dime to my ministry, God's gonna take care of me. I'm full, I like, it's fine. He'll get a raven, whatever. I'm good. We have to see our lives as watchmen for the breakthrough of other people. And I believe that that's like a theme God is just speaking tonight that what a privilege you have to come together as New Day churches to be a city set on a hill in this area for the purposes of God. No pressure to do it on your own strength, but as we look upward, that we actually become gatekeepers for the breakthrough of the city, for the prophetic destiny that God saw before the foundation of the earth for this city. Last part of this, I don't know if I told this story last year, but I I really feel like I'm supposed to say it. 
you'll notice part of his breakthrough came through the words that came out of his mouth. And I had a dream maybe seven, eight years ago that has so defined me and it's helped me and it's helped turn a lot of the things that the Lord spoke to me into these co-labors through, through, through declarations. In this dream, Jesus came to me in this dream and he came to me and he said to me, Abner, don't you know you can have what you say? And in the dream, I began to explain to Jesus the principle that I knew, it's a principle that we started the ministry. He goes, yes, Lord, you know that's how we started the ministry. We just believe, we just had this word of what you told us, told me I'd go to the nations, open it. We just believed it. And Jesus did not seem very impressed with my explanation in the dream. Somehow he didn't get my educated response to him. So he came to me a second time. He's never mean or cruel, but he said to me, no, don't you know you can have what you say? So being a servant leader that I am, I explained to Jesus again. Second time around, he didn't seem very impressed. Final time, he came to me. And it was like he grabbed me. He said, no, don't you know? And he was like, his eyes were thundering. He said, you can have what you say. Dream ended. There's another part of the dream that I finally understood about two months ago that I won't fully get into. But I didn't call my intercessor and go, hey, what do you think this means? I didn't get out the John Paul Jackson interpretation book. Like, you know, like there's sometimes you just, you don't need confirmation. It is what he says it is. And I've learned some things I'm still believing God for. Some things have taken months. Some things have taken three years. Some things have taken a year, six months. But I can tell you, you can have what you say. I talk to my luggage. I talk to things in my house. You think it's funny. I don't, my luggage does not get lost. Because I don't like wearing the same clothes for more than 24 hours. And I encourage you, begin to speak the word of God over the things in your life. And I'll read this to you, and we'll close. So Jesus answered and said to them, this is Mark eleven twenty two. Before Kenneth Hagin ever taught it, Jesus spoke it. Have faith in God or have the faith of God. Literally, it says have the faith of God. And Jesus is teaching here in response to Peter watching him one day. He speaks to that tree, little story, little minor story in between where he overturns things in the temple. Next day, it's very minor, no big deal. Next day, they look at the tree, and the tree has become everything that Jesus spoke to it. And, and Peter's astounded, go, oh my gosh, everything you just said to that tree. And immediately, Jesus goes into this teaching on faith. I'm convinced, not only the words that you speak have power, but half the time, it's because you, I need to hear it over and over again to hear the word of God to let that define me. 
and I know my mind is starting to change, that the first thing that comes to my mind is the prophecy I got or what the word of God says. Not the problem. You know, it was in this state, I was driving seven, eight years ago on the back road somewhere. I was going somewhere to minister. And the Lord just spoke to me. He goes, why is it that every time you think of, 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 of the things in your life that are challenging, you think of everything that could go wrong? He said, I want to teach you how to see things differently. Whoever says to this mountain, notice you got to speak to the mountain, be removed and cast into, I'm a fundamentalist. Seriously, I believe. I believe that's exactly what you have to do. And I also like to have fun. Be removed and cast into the sea. And that does not doubt in his heart. See, in the kingdom, you don't think from here. In the kingdom, you think from your heart. And what's in your heart defines what's in your mind. And what's in your mind defines how you behave. That's why he says, guard your heart. So every one of us, they'll come thoughts, that's not unbelief because you're going, oh man, what's gonna happen there? It's what you choose to do with those voices. It's what you choose to do with those Goliaths. You know, sometimes I'll be driving down the road and the enemy will go, That'll ne- that's never gonna work. You're gonna bankrupt the whole, or this ass never gonna work. Your brother's gonna die. No, those are not my thoughts. My thoughts are pure, just, and of good report. And this is what God has said about it. You can't let that, you cannot let the enemy have any space on your real estate because he has not paid for it. So many believers, they just like, they just, they just let them just walk all around there. And sometimes you'll say it once and he'll come back 30 seconds later. You, you should be worried about this. You should worry about this. You should worry. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because he loves, he loves for people to worry. And sometimes I got to do it, and five minutes later, I got to do it again. So, it's not, you're not in unbelief because you have a thought that's wrong, or you think, like, this might go wrong. It's what you choose to do with that. Sometimes you know you believe the wrong thing because it's come out of your mouth. That's where you just go, okay, God, forgive me, wherever the root of that thought is. I repent of it, I renounce it, boom. Right back on the right path. And believes those things he says will be done, and believes those things he says. Notice the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are nowhere in that verse. So, the responsibility is upon us by the grace of God to speak what God has told us to speak. They're nowhere in that verse. They can't do it for you. Believes those things he says, here it is. He will have whatever he says. He will have whatever he says. He will have whatever he says. He will have, he or she will have whatever they say. You will have whatever you say. You will have, man, I've just bumped you a whole bunch. What's your name? I'm Jason. Jason, God bless you, Jason. You have a prophetic gift on you. You have a teaching gift on you. And this is a season of divine alignment and purpose for you. You, you look, uh, you're, it looks like your life, you feel like you're maybe like on this like buoy out in the middle of the ocean. You're like, where am I going in this thing? And the Lord says, 
as you turn to me in this season, divine direction is going to be given to you. You have, you have a very unique personality and unique giftings on the inside of you. And you have a call to go to other nations. The least I could do is give you a prophetic word and I've kept touching you all night. No, I felt led to do that. He will have whatever he says. 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 I've had people come up to you sometimes like, I don't believe what you just said. I believe what you're saying because I don't see it in your life. And you have whatever you say, whether you believe it or not. Verse 24, and we are landing the plane. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, when you pray, not when you see it, but when you pray. Oh, this is fun. I love getting with our intercessors because there was one, there's one particular thing we were, we were contending with God for for a particular event we were doing, and it was, it was a certain thing, and we were praying, we were, we were, this group thing called up in Ohio. I go, we got it. She says, I know, I felt it today. We got it. We didn't see it for another month and a half, but I knew we had it. I knew we had it. That day, boom. How, do you, how can you believe you had it? You believe you had it if you prayed according to the will of God, he heard. Listen, this is another prophetic word for some of you in this room. Whether you know it or not, God is moving on your behalf tonight. He's putting things in order, things you prayed last week, things you prayed three weeks ago, things the enemy tried to discourage you this morning. He says nothing's happening. He is moving on your behalf to cause all things to work for your certain good. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have it. That one mystified me for a while, but after reading it over and over again, I finally got it years later. How can I believe that I received it? I can believe I received it because I said it. Because I can have whatever I say, and you can have whatever you say. And I have good news for you. You believe this thing, and I know you do, it will work to produce everything you needed to produce in your life. This is not a dead book. This is not some fairy tale idea. This is the actual DNA of God that can change your life and can change the whole world and will change Somerville. You believe that? If you believe that, why don't you stand and just give the Lord praise? Yeah, just give the Lord praise. Father, we honor you tonight. We say you alone are worthy of all praise and all honor. Father, let the joy return to this region. Let the joy of the Lord return. Father, let, let it not be a bride who just looks like got lemons on their face, but let the joy of the good news saturate the people of God in this region. 
Let the goodness of God be manifest. Let the knowledge of God be manifest in this region as never before. Thank you tonight, Lord, because this is an apostolic people. Father, I say over your people, as the Father sent Jesus, so he has sent New Day Community of Churches to be a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be distinguished, a light that overcomes darkness. Let all darkness bow to the name of Jesus and the word of God in this city. Let worship, let the worship of heaven go forth in this people, God. Let prophetic songs, songs that redefine the region here come forth from this platform. Sarah, I saw this tonight. I saw such a confidence and increase even from last year. But I say the authority is increasing over your life. The grace is increasing. The ability to partner with the angelic is increasing. Father, raise up a house of worshipers, a spirit and in truth. Bring in the creatives, Lord. Bring in the millennials. Bring in paintings. Bring in creative concepts, Lord, to this community that would help reshape it, Lord. Father, I declare that this is a reformational house. This is not a house who does things the way other people do them, not because they're arrogant, but because they have a blueprint from heaven. We say that this is a house with a blueprint from heaven. As Moses got the blueprint of heaven, it shaped the earth. So let, as this house gets the blueprint of heaven, let it reshape the earth. And let the harvest come in, Lord. Let the nations come in. Let an apostolic reach go to Europe, go to Asia, God. Go to Australia, go to New Zealand as never before. Thank you, Lord, because these people are warriors. Thank you, Lord, that fellowship with the Lord and the fear of the Lord marks the people of God in this room. Father, thank you because on this rock you will build the church here. Mashakarabuhaya. That you have indeed given Scott and Stephanie the keys of the kingdom to bring the glory of God here. God, that your eyes look for someone who would come here because of your love for this region and your love for the land, and you found a faithful couple. We bless them tonight. Scott and Seth, I just feel this phrase, this Matthew 6.33, because you've, you have chosen the good thing, all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to your children. Land, mashaka. More than enough resources. Cars, everything that you have need of, Lord, the Lord says you will have. Everything you have need of, the Lord says you will have. Because you've been so extravagant, even for what I've put in your hand, it's become a seed for more than enough. There is, the Lord says there is seed in the ground for more than enough. Marabu shahatabukaya. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Marabu shahatanamaya.
you know, we just can't do this thing that the Lord's called us to do by ourselves. So I just feel tonight, we just be a blessing to the person next to you. Pray a strong prayer. Don't pray a weak, weak prayer. Pray like you would want somebody to pray for you. Just bless them. Prophes- There's a spirit of prophecy. Give them a word of the Lord. Just be a blessing to them. Yeah, go ahead. Just be a blessing to them. Thank you, Lord. Shabakaya. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you don't know what to pray, just bless him in the name of Jesus. Just say, I bless you in Jesus' name. Shakabo Shakabaya. Kamba Shakabo Shakabarabakaya. Whoa. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless your Lord. Increase the grace, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As you're as you're finishing up, just lift your hands. I just want to do one more thing. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and grant you shalom, peace, and rest. (laughs) Amen. Would you look this way? Hey, maybe tomorrow we'll do some more ministry, but I don't want to go beyond the grace that's in this room. Thanks for being hungry. Thanks for letting me minister to you. Scott, I don't know where Scott or Stephanie I'm done. I don't know if God's done, but I know I'm done. God bless you guys. Thanks.